I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore, here with Many Screens Big Picture. I have a really incredible guest today, Sarah Witten. Sarah Witten is an entertainment reporter for CNBC, covering all things entertainment Hollywood for the network's digital team. Her coverage includes the film, TV, toy, and theme park industries. Witten has done extensive reporting in recent months about how the coronavirus pandemic has drastically changed how these businesses operate and the financial implications for major companies like Disney, Universal, Netflix, Warner Brothers, and more. Stay tuned. At the very end of this episode, we're going to go through a bonus round of extra special questions for Sarah. So stay tuned for that. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you here today. Great to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me. So we're going to get right into this. Uh, How did you get your start in journalism? Probably like most people, it was, uh, well, I I like to think it's very non-traditional, but basically I got out of college and graduated in 2013 and couldn't get a job. (laughs) I had a double major in English and creative writing, wanted to move out to LA, but just couldn't find a way to put my foot in the door anywhere. Uh, So I had a summer job and I applied and applied and applied. And then I ended up in New York city to see a show and my friend's aunt worked at CNBC and she goes, you love film and television. Do you want to come and just take a tour of the facility? And I was like, sure, that sounds great. I love that kind of stuff. Um, And I ended up having lunch with their executive editor at the time. And it went great, I guess, because I got an email from her three weeks later saying, I've got a job for you. 20 hours a week, you'll help me. And the other 20, you can learn about financial journalism. And I was like, well, okay. That's really interesting. I I think a lot of people share that story. I myself, I had, uh, well, I still do, (laughs) degrees in film and television. And very quickly found I could not get a job in the industry. That having the degrees, while I'm certainly thrilled that I have them now, it was more about you have to prove yourself. You have to you know, show the work ethic. You have to get in there. I think it's about the passion. It seems like you clearly had that. What, what was your educational background specifically that, that CNBC was a perfect fit for you? Uh, it's really interesting because when I was in high school, I wanted to go to film school. I wanted to go to AFI. That's what I, that's all I wanted to do was go to AFI. Yeah. And um, I did this like internship on uh, Showtime set for a few months and was talking to them and they're like, don't go to film school. It's a waste of your time. You'll learn everything you need to know once you get there. Just go to college, enjoy yourself, don't get into debt. And once you get on a film set, they'll teach you everything you need to know. So I didn't go to film school. I went to a small liberal arts school in Virginia because I fell in love with it and had a great time, double major, (laughs) got to do my creative writing and get the English degree. And I completely forgot your question. <laughs> no, that was some great practical <laughs> advice, right? Like, what was your, what was your educational background? Oh yeah, educational background. <laughs> I was like, where am I going with this? Um, no, I think it's really cool that. Uh, let me get this straight. You wanted to go to film school. Somebody said, "Wait, wait, wait! You don't need to do that." Yeah, I, go over here. Go have fun. Do the college thing. Get your degrees or degree, and then get practical experience, right? Yeah, it was like all I wanted to do was go to AFI. That's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. to go to film school. I wanted to make film. I wanted to write film. Um, By the way, everybody does, Sarah. I know, I know. I did too. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was on that internship um, for a Showtime series, and 
they were just like, yeah, don't waste your time at film school. What did that look like? Were you were you a, a gopher? Were, no, you, <laughs> were you directing an episode? What? In my high school, in order to graduate, you had to do something called a senior project. So you had to go and basically intern with a company, learn everything that you could about them over the course of like seven months, and then write this like detailed 10 to 15 page paper, which at the time seemed humongous <laughs> compared yeah. to... And then you go to college and you're like, oh, that's small. Uh, yeah. And you just like had to write this paper taking a stance on something about that industry. So like for me, like I talked about violence and film in mine um, because the show that I was um, kind of hanging around with was Brotherhood on Showtime, which is set oh, in yeah. Providence, which is where I you know grew up and it was a gangster show. <laughs> so yeah. it was, uh, they showed me how like they did all of the, violence with the props and the fake screwdrivers and the you know fake guns and how a squib worked so it was um this really interesting sort of like being on set for 12 hours a day i didn't get to go very often but um because obviously i was in high school so i had to go to school right you had to go back to school <laughs> but it was uh it was really fun just to like take a couple of days and go figure out what a writing assistant does and what a sound engineer does and like learn all the different kind of ways that a film is put together and that kind of solidified like oh yeah that's where I want to be yeah that makes sense I think it's great that you learn the nuts and bolts of the industry because a lot of people don't have that background not everyone has that opportunity I think what I've realized when I've gone on set is how hard people work like everyone wants to make movies and tv man you're up at four or five in the morning talent and the you know creative talent and then those behind the camera in front of the camera everyone is there for 12 hours at least it's really hard work right that was one of the biggest takeaways for me I mean I was 17 and I thought that was the coolest thing on earth like yeah I don't need to sleep let's do it and uh, <laughs> I'll be honest I'm kind of happy that I ended up in journalism because <laughs> I can go to bed early and um don't have there to you go eight hours a day um all the time but um yeah. <laughs> it looks like fun, but it's a lot of work. Well, that's the beauty of movie magic. So wanting to go to film school, where did that come from? I mean, when you were growing up, did you watch movies with your parents? Did you have friends who were into watching certain TV shows? What was there a formative experience or somebody in your family? Everyone has a story about why they fell in love with the whole idea of entertainment and then finding a career a spot in entertainment. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I blame my father and he knows it. Um, it's a joking blame, but I blame him. Um, he would just show me films like, you know, age appropriate, of course, except of course, one. no good fellows. <laughs> but um, yeah, he would just show me movies when I was a kid. Um, we started obviously with star Wars when I was you know younger. So, you know, when the Phantom Menace came out, I was eight and it was like, that was 99. What 99. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you were eight. I was, I'm not going to say. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that was like, you know, you watch the three Star Wars movies, you get wrapped up in this, you know, epic. And then someone tells you, hey, we're making another one. And you just feel like the luckiest kid on earth. And then you yeah. go and you see these incredible space scenes and, you know, Jedi versus Sith fights. And, you know, it just really sparks the imagination. So, you know, that really got me interested. And then as I got older, my dad showed me like more mature films. You know, he showed me Hitchcock mm -hmm. and um, right. he showed me the usual suspects. Um, oh, great. and that movie just. Yeah. 
it for some it just clicked with me i just went wow you can do that uh yeah. i mean just you know obviously don't want to spoil it even though it's you know right. i think everybody knows but yes but um <laughs> you know it just it's something about it like as soon as you get to the end of that movie your, your brain kind of breaks a little bit and you go huh how did that how? and then you go back and they didn't cheat it was like one of those things of like oh you can write something and be so clever like yeah and that was like cool i want to see more like that so then he showed me some other stuff that you know as i said we did hitchcock early so then we kind of went more mature films after that right well i think oh that's really cool because uh i had this similar experience my father was a rocket scientist and uh he took my sisters and i to the cinerama dome in hollywood to see 2001 a space odyssey i was like seven or eight years old at the time and i like you just had this aha moment like this is what this is all about. But I didn't understand anything in that movie at that age. And I probably, anybody I, I understand really a little bit more of it. About that movie. <laughs> you know, people are still dissecting that movie. <laughs> yeah. Kubrick is such an interesting guy. Um, just everything that he's done is like, it's really thought provoking, <laughs> either yeah. good or bad. It's thought provoking. Well, I think you alluded to that a little bit with the usual suspects. Cause I know when you're young, you see films uh, that are sort of a straight ahead narrative uh, you know, beginning, middle, end kind of things go in a linear fashion. And then you see something when you're young, like the usual suspects and you kind of, that clicks that great filmmakers can take you on a journey and you don't know where you're going. And then when you get there, you're like, wow, they really did something. So uh, they did something to provoke these thoughts. And they also, I thought it was really smart and they went in a direction I didn't even see on the horizon so that's cool i mean like i've watched so many movies over my life like most people have but like i stopped going to see movies with friends because halfway through a movie i'd get a nudge and they'd be like so what does that mean yeah i haven't seen this movie yet they're like yeah but you you know things and i'm like so you were that person (laughs) i was like you just let me watch it like yeah i've got an idea of where it's going because you you see the tropes you kind of know where it's going and after a while it was like i just didn't want to be nudged during the middle of a movie so i would go (laughs) by myself or or see it before my friends so that then i would actually get to enjoy it um because you know you see so many movies you pick up on the the tropes you pick up on the the red herrings you pick up on like, okay, there's a reason they gave us a shot of that. I mean, it's like, you don't put a gun in the scene with if the gun's not going to go off. So it's like, once you learn it, you can get bored with some movies. And then does it it ruin it for you then? Is it too inside baseball? Is it like, I'm going to make a really bad analogy. Well, I'm not going to make a direct analogy, but let's say you work (laughs) in an industry and you do that thing every day and other people think it's so mystical, but then once you're kind of inside it, it becomes less, mysterious or does it still do move? I mean, for me, I kind of know I'm, I'm like you, I really analyze movies, but I still enjoy them, but you're right. It makes you more critical. I think for sure. Well, it's like, you're just not tricked as easily. And, and you look for the mistakes. So like with the usual suspects, you go back and you watch that movie. And as I said, they don't cheat. So it's not like you were missing part of the information. The information was given to you the whole time. So right. I get annoyed with movies that say, oh, we tricked you because we didn't show you that thing. So right. you never would have made that connection. That's what really annoys me is when a movie like tries to be clever, but they cheat to get to the, you know, the right. surprise or the shock. Yeah. Um, I remember in high school, I took a, a film class just, you know, it was like an elective. And the teacher before we started, she goes, 
we're, we're going to do this course, but you're never going to look at a movie the same way. So <laughs> be prepared for that because yeah. um, you're never going to look at a movie and, and have that same like, oh, how'd they do that? I mean, you will, like you kind of start to learn like, oh, okay, well that's, oh, that's how they did that. Or, you know. Isn't it a bit like a, like a magic trick, right? It's a magician. And I think of the, you know, Christopher Nolan, obviously very much in the news lately with Tenet, but he had, he made a movie called The Prestige, which is absolutely brilliant with Christian Bale and Hugh, Hugh Jackman and Scarlett Johansson, a lot of great people in that movie. And it's almost like, you know, they analyze in a sense, or he presents to you what, you know, what movie making is about because yeah. the whole time you're like, what's going on here. It's like smoke and mirrors. That's movie magic. They call it movie magic for a reason, but, but that's why I think for you and for others who are really well-versed in movie tropes and movie dynamics and narrative structure and all that, that the more, you know, then it takes a lot more to impress you. So when you're sitting there, although I think even today I'd be impressed with the usual suspects, uh, even if, you know, as much as when I first saw it, I think The Sixth Sense was another movie that had that all, it was all right there. Everything was there mm-hmm. in front of you. You just didn't see it. You weren't looking for it. That's what great films do. They make for you sure. lose sure. direction. Yeah. I mean, and like, I definitely enjoy films still. So like, it's not like suddenly the magic is lost and I'm never going to watch another movie again. I mean, like Brian right. Johnson's Knives Out, I thought was spectacular. Absolutely, um, yeah. Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz is one of my favorite movies. Oh, like, Edgar Wright, yep. There's Baby Driver, one of my favorites. I, I like clever movies is sort of yeah. how I feel about it. Is like, entertain me, but like, you know... <laughs> Yeah. Put something in there that's quirky and interesting and memorable. And I mean, like I could quote you hot fuzz. I could quote you so many of my favorite movies because I watch them so often and it doesn't lose that spark. Well, it sounds like we're similar in that way as well. If I like a movie and I've talked about this before, I think we've talked about it. When I go see a movie in a movie theater, which I wish I could do right now, (laughs) if I love that movie, then I'm already thinking about, buying it down the road or renting it well buying it generally on home video it may not be available for a few weeks or months well months really but i'm already thinking that because i want to watch it over and over some people are like i only watch a movie once it, it'd be like listening to music once to me i i've listened to the same album a hundred times i never get tired of it uh and i think for movies it can be like that too where you just want to uh i don't know that that art form is so addictive in a sense. For sure. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is, um, I mean, I'll buy movies on like demand for like, if I can't get to the store. <laughs> yeah. Or, or should I say I buy movies now because I can't always go to the store. But my favorite thing to do is to go pick up the DVD, watch the movie again, mm-hmm. since I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, and then immediately watch the director's commentary. Yes. And that's your own film school. And I have to say one of my favorite director's commentary is for Tropic Thunder. Because there's a line in that movie where he says, I don't drop character until I've done the DVD commentary. And Robert Downey Jr. does the entire DVD commentary in character as Kirk Lazar. <laughs> and it, for me, Perfect. just was like, oh, my God, this is so clever. Like, I yeah. love this so much. Um, yeah, so I, I love to just, you know, put the movie on, rewatch it, enjoy it, and then immediately pop the DVD back in and uh, do the director's commentary. Because it's like you learn so much. Yeah. And I, I think too, it shows your inquisitive nature. It kind of makes sense that you're a journalist, you're an analyst, you do this. 
for a living, but it's also your passion. I think that shines through in your work. I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about the pandemic a little bit. Uh, I alluded to it or spoke of it in your uh, bio at the beginning that you've been doing a lot of coverage on how the pandemic has changed the business of entertainment. How's it changed how you cover it? Are your deadlines tighter? Are you coming up with story ideas that you would have never imagined even eight months ago, things that you're discussing, experts that you're speaking to, you might be talking to health experts as well. How is the uh, coverage or your coverage and your methodology changed uh, since the pandemic has hit? Well, before the pandemic, the entertainment industry had this very cyclical nature to it. You know, you could find all of the movies on the calendar when they were going to come out. You kind of had a sense of like, okay, the big blockbusters are going to come out in these months. These are when the awards movies come out. Okay. And you, you had a very, you know, (laughs) fixed, you know, window of which you were looking at, you could easily plan ahead and be like, okay, well in three weeks, this big movie comes out. So that means I've got to look out for reviews. I've got to look out for pre-sale tickets. I've got to wait over the weekend to see how it does. And now that is completely out the window. You have no clue if next week's movie is still coming out. So it's sort of like you could so easily plan your life pre-pandemic on your coverage, which not everybody gets to do as a journalist. A lot of people have just tons and tons of breaking news. Mine was like, 60% 60% pre-planned and 40% breaking news. And now it's like 90% breaking news and 10% pre-planned. Because everything's breaking all the time in terms of the news cycle. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like even just, you know, a few weeks ago when Wonder Woman got pushed, like oh, yeah. it, yep. it's like, okay, well, that seemed like it was set in stone. And then immediately you just kind of go, okay, well, we'll see. Have you found that things that used to be a big red flag, like, oh, this movie moved now. It's like, oh, it's like we've seen so many films move in and this is a result of the pandemic uh, just for those who I mean I'm sure everyone listening is knows this but a lot of movies are waiting for the movie theater to movie theaters to reopen in a big way because to earn back their budget to get a big splash in theaters they're having to wait and so we've just seen this sort of game of hopscotch where release dates are just changing constantly. Do you treat every release date change? Do you put out a story on each one of those or do you wait till there's like two or three? I guess it depends on the movie, the size of the movie, the profile. The profile is, is definitely so like Wonder Woman kind of deserved its own story as like, you know, that is such a important yeah. movie for the industry. Even before the pandemic, it was an important movie, you know, in terms of it being a female led film, how it did last time what it meant for DC and Warner brothers. So like it was already very important. And then to have it shift out of October and leave this huge gap between tenant and black widow, which is arguably the next big blockbuster. I mean, that's a huge deal for the industry. Yeah. But I remember back in March when Mulan moved. And then as you headed into April, you had a quiet place leave. You had no time to die leave. And I wrote a story saying there's no way Marvel pushes any of its movies. It's got right. the tight calendar. If it moves one, it shifts everything, you know, because, you know, an Easter egg in Black Widow may show up in, you know, a different in the Eternals or, you know, an Easter egg in Black Widow maybe shows up in a new TV show with, you know, the yeah. Winter Soldier and Falcon. And I was like, there's no way that Disney and Marvel would ever move that movie. And as soon as it moved, I went, oh, okay. This is 
this is it. We're changing. We have to rethink how we cover. We have to rethink how this industry is going to work because that to me was a huge moment for the industry. Yeah. You talk about an inflection point, the turning point, all these different, a tipping point. I think you're absolutely right. When this was first happening, we're like, yeah, movies are going to move a little down the calendar. That makes sense. Cause they don't want to take the risk. Everybody understands why they're moving uh, those films and that was really, I think, a time where, as time went on, we were like, oh, we are in for quite a ride here. Oh, yeah. And I know that you were breaking stories left and right about this. And we're like, all those changes were coming fast and furious. And like, where is this going to go? No pun intended. I mean, because Fast and Furious, Furious 9 moved to next year. So what a ride it's been. It's still happening. I mean, we're oh, still. Oh, yeah, for it. sure. I mean, when Fast 9 moved, you sort of went, wow, okay. You know, that is a huge film, especially internationally. Um, over a billion dollars, easy, you know? And yep. for them to move that, it was like, okay, interesting. Um, I'll still say Marvel's my inflection point uh, just because of how it connects. Yeah. Like, Fast 9 is kind of like, okay, you can move it and it doesn't really impact too much. But, like, what yeah. Marvel had put into having three to four TV shows that they were in production on, they announced three more that they're working on. And you have this slate of movies for the next four or five years. It was like, oh, okay, that moved. You kind of really figured, okay, something's something's not right here. Yeah. And they don't think it'll get right soon. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're talking about companies that have hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, even billions of dollars at stake with all these properties. They're all interconnected. I know you've written extensively on the interconnectivity of the MCU and of the DC universe. And you're, I like what you said earlier though, because it's not just big screen affecting big screen content. They have Marvel content on the small screen that's interconnected in some way. It's like a giant chessboard, but you move one piece, you have to move everything else. So I, I mean, think of the uh, what's going on within these companies, the boardroom meetings or those Zoom meetings now about how do we move things, but then how do we honor the timeline, the characters? It's just a daunting, incredible. Task. Oh, for sure. And I mean, like, I do not envy those folks in the boardrooms right now because these are really tough decisions and yeah. they can have huge financial impact. I mean, even look at Disney deciding Mulan needs to go to streaming instead of go into theaters and say what you right. will about the film and the backlash and, you know, what it got for reviews. But like right. that for them was a huge decision. And then you see like kind of this ripple effect as you go out of, okay, if you move that, you now have to move something else. And for now, the kind of hopscotch is going to be okay because 2021 is super padded with content. But if yeah. production doesn't get, started again in the same capacity that it was <laughs> what are we going to do in 2022 well that's the thing i mean we haven't even touched on the the effect on production you have to have a pipeline you have to have content being produced to show it and that affects not only the big screen small screen as well movie making and tv show you know develop or producing a tv show that's a communal exercise generally but I know that they're coming up with ways to kind of shoot around things, how to be safe. I mean, obviously, it's just a uh, – if I use the word unprecedented one more time, I'm going to like – you know. but it's the <laughs> best word to describe it's what's going cringe on. cringe any time someone says that word now. It's like just a physical reaction. Like you'll yeah. do it six times on a conference call, and each time you just sort of – Oh, I'm, I, I just a little bit. 
I just said it and I'm like, oh, I don't want to say it, but let's put it this way. Very unusual times. I, but going back to that though, what do you, you know, there was a big brouhaha and we don't have to delve too deep into it about certain movies going to streaming that were destined originally for theatrical and they're, each studio had to make a decision. What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this content? Are we going to keep moving it down the road? And I think a lot of people thought that was a bridge too far. I looked at it as with certain movies, you got to do what you got to do. If it makes fiscal sense in this new dynamic marketplace, then I don't think that was necessarily a bad thing. I think it was, it symbolized though, at least at the time, a move and still does a move away from the movie theater, which I think it's, this is a temporary thing in terms of that. I think things will change in a big way down the road. I'm not naive enough to think things aren't going to change, but everyone got very upset when some movies, we don't have to name specific films, but just conceptually, how do you feel about that? You know, moving of certain films to streaming that were destined for theatrical. Well, I think it was so taboo back in March and April when it started happening and everyone was just sort of like, couldn't fathom it. And how does that fit into the model and how does that change the model? And it was just such this like strange upending that, and we didn't really have an end in sight. We still don't for when, you know, we're going to be able to get movie theaters back in the same capacity that they were. But I think that mentality is totally shifted now. I mean, even having the Academy, you know, a few months ago say, hey, listen, like, we understand that not everything can go to theaters right now. So if you were intending on having it go to theaters, but it goes to streaming instead, we will still allow it to be nominated. Now, obviously, that shifts once things reopen more. But, you know, I, I think it's a little less taboo now. And I think more people understand that some companies just have to make money right now. They have to put these things out. They have to make deals with theaters. They have to do things that they wouldn't normally do or wouldn't think about doing yeah. because of the circumstances. And I think you're also just seeing this like forward momentum of, you know, places we were going already. We were already going more towards, you know, like online ticket sales. And now pretty much hundred percent of tickets are online now because True. how you True. get rid of that touch point. Um, so I, I think we're going to see some more changes as we go along, especially as the you know box office really hasn't recovered. And with the movies kind of fleeing yeah. from their calendar dates, um, we may not see the box office recover in 2020 in the same way that we hoped it would or the way international is. Um, I mean, I don't think movie theaters are dead. I don't think the movie industry is dead. I think there's going to be, as we've talked about many times, an asterisk on 2020. Yeah. And I know you've said that a number of times and I completely agree. It's just going to be like, okay, well, what do we do to, <laughs> you know, make ends meet at this time? Because, you know, yeah. it's really tough, especially for companies that aren't just movie companies. You uh, mentioned the word taboo. And I think that's the perfect word to describe it. Back in March, April, it was a big taboo to move a film off of a theatrical date, put it on home video. Now it's like, you know, everyone realizes these are very unusual times and that unusual steps are being taken. It, and by the way, some of these things might be good for the industry. Sometimes situations like this accelerate uh, action. It's one thing to have a, a conversation accelerated, which certainly the pandemic has done with regard, not just to the movie industry and entertainment, but every industry from airlines to concerts 
to restaurants, you name the industry, any kind of, let's say, a move towards uh, touchless menus, which maybe was a good idea anyway, as every once in a while you get a menu or like, I don't even want to touch that thing. And I'm a Virgo and you are too. We both yeah. recently had birthdays, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, we love so, so some of those things I think are not a bad thing. And I, I, I think when there's ever upheaval, though, let's not forget the tragic foundation of what's going on right now. In no way do I want to come off like we're just looking at this as in, in a very cold way. We're not. It's just that it's, it may change some things perhaps for the better in terms of movies as well. And the way we consume them, the way we look at film and television. And there may be innovations that come out of this that will be some of the greatest innovations ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that has been one of the biggest things is even, you know, now, but more so early on is everybody I talked to would take a moment and say, listen, I know we're talking about money, but let's not forget that there are other things happening that impact human lives. Like, yeah, yeah, it's a movie and that we want to go back to the movies and we love entertainment, but there is this sort of black cloud around it. And a, a lot of the sources I talked to were very adamant to be like, listen, like, I know we're talking nitty gritty numbers and we have to do a strategy to keep our business alive, but we're not forgetting <laughs> that yeah. there's this kind of horrible thing happening around it. So I, it's definitely important to remember that. But yeah. at the end of the day, these businesses do need to survive. And if they don't survive, that also impacts lives. Yeah, I, very well said. I think that is at the crux of this. It's first and foremost, a human issue and and tragic for for people around the world. But you're right. These businesses do need to figure out strategies to to remain because they, they want to keep people employed it's so far reaching. And I think at no other time have I realized how important entertainment is both as an escape, the importance to, to the emotional well-being of people, the ability to have a lot of content on streaming that they can just immerse themselves in and get away from all their problems. So it just is a very unusual time. I think when we come out of this, we're going to really appreciate even more everything and also the the entertainment that we love. And and so I think that's a good time where we go into our bonus question. Okay, here we go. So Sarah, time for the bonus round, okay? Ready, so, Sarah, I, I know you have an interesting hobby, Dungeons and Dragons. For those of us who are uninitiated, what does that entail? Is that role play? Is that virtual? I'm sure it's virtual now. Was it ever something you did in, re- in real time, in reality? Yeah, D&D is this really fun sort of special hobby of mine. Um, It's all about storytelling, and it's kind of the most immersive and most imaginative storytelling you can possibly have because anything goes. You can pretty much think about any scenario and decide to go with it, and really the only thing that stops you is the dice. So if I want to jump off something and swing a sword at a, you know, an ogre... (laughs) It really just matters if I roll the dice well. I can kind of think of anything and just do it. Um, I think this fits in with your love of movies and storytelling. (laughs) There's a a little bit of me that sort of goes, oh, yeah, I'd always wanted to be like Robin Hood or always wanted to be a Jedi and I can do it now. Um, Yeah, it's just this really fun way to kind of immerse yourself in a world an escape for a while, but also I think we need D and D more than ever right oh, now. Oh yeah, but it's also great for problem solving. Like you can come up with some really creative ways to get out of situations. 
Um, and thankfully in real life, I don't have to roll a D20 to figure out if I've succeeded or not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's been really fun. We've been doing it digitally lately, but we used to do it in person. Um, but it's just a great way to spend a couple of hours with some friends. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I think I think everyone who has not partaken of that should totally try it. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at it and go, oh, that's super nerdy. That's super hard. Like, it's like, yeah, it's, it is super nerdy, but it's not that difficult. I think it's super cool, Sarah. Next yeah, on the really bonus fun. round, your favorite or notable filmmaker's celebrity interaction. Oh, boy. I mean, oh, that's tough. I know you talked to Russell Crowe, right? Well, yeah. I was on a uh, media Unhinged. Call. Yeah, for Unhinged, uh, they had a few of us on a Zoom call. I think the most notable part of that is my cat jumped in the background of that call. And that's what <laughs> we did. get to him in a minute. Is I had to remove my cat from the background. <laughs> um, so that was probably pretty crazy. I, um, I got to go to the 40th anniversary Star Wars celebration. I was about 20 feet from the stage where Mark Hamill was, and that was pretty cool and then they did this tribute where uh john williams came out and there was a 60 piece orchestra hiding and it was oh right after carrie fisher had died and they did this huge oh, yeah. tribute to her they did leia's theme and they turned the lights out and i turned back and there was warwick davis next to anthony daniels right behind me like and we're all just sort of having this solemn moment <laughs> of like mourning together and it was like beautiful wow. and sad and yeah um, that was Pretty cool. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Now, it was this Orlando, is, by the way. It was in Orlando. Oh, was it? Okay. I remember because Warwick Davis made a joke about Harrison Ford landing his plane on I-4. Well, when you look up Warwick Davis in our ComScore database, huge box office. For <laughs> sure. I think we also talked about the fact that Stan Lee has the largest box office just based on his cameos. Yeah, because and, and Samuel L. Jackson has forever been like one of the biggest stars in terms of box office think of the movies that oh, he's yeah. been in even <laughs> jurassic uh jurassic park so i will say i of, loved him in captain marvel i thought i thought that was a great one it was great um he was in jurassic right yeah he was no he was yeah <laughs> i remember the cigarette yeah so many movies uh so this is not the final question because i'm gonna get to that in a minute this is the most important one Tell us about your cat, Loki. Oh, boy. How you named him. Why you, I think I know why you named him Loki. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about him, how he fits into your work life, especially now that you're working at home mostly. So, my cat, Loki, um, obviously, if you've been paying attention to this podcast, I am a huge Marvel fan, uh, have been since Iron Man came out. Um, so, when I got Loki a few years ago, I was like, oh, man, what am I going to name him? He's kind of mischievous. He likes to get into things. And I was like, oh, he's a Loki. Um, and my sister sort of pushed me the last minute. She goes, you, you have to do it. Like, you love Loki. You think he's a great villain. You think he's funny. He's this awesome antihero. He's quirky. And that about sums up my cat. He is weird and he likes to make noise. And if and people want to see him, I think you post on your Twitter account oh, a picture any chance I get. I, I mean, I show them to shopkeepers randomly. I love it. Oh, you're buying a ton of cat food. Yeah, you want to see my cat? And they're like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, seriously, if you find me on the streets of New York in the next year, just ask and I will show you a picture of my cat. Love it. Don't I love that cat. Me. Hold on. Don't, don't come find me in New York. I lied. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite movie? That's my final bonus question. Okay. So um, a really good friend of mine, uh, what she likes to do on first dates is ask the person to play her 
their favorite movie and they'll watch it. Uh, and I told her I'm not allowed to do that because it would freak out any potential date because my favorite yep. movie is Silence of the Lambs. Um, and I feel like that just would set things off in a very weird direction. That's romance. Like, how well, are you? Kidding? You know, if they're okay with it, like, what does that mean? And if they're not okay with it, what does that mean? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Silence of the Lambs is my favorite. It's a spectacular film. It's so, so well done. It's so well edited. The music Sarah, I love your pick. I would actually say it's a perfect movie. You know, some movies, the ending's bad or the, you know, there's some flaw. There is not. If somebody could point one out to me, I dare you. Just try it. So I mean, rough. I remember uh, I took some film classes in high school and college. And I remember we were doing non-diegetic and diegetic sound. And they brought mm-hmm. up that movie as an example. And it's so perfect. It's like when they're ringing the doorbell and you yeah. think the eyes outside the guy's house, but it's not right. really Clarice. And it's just like... Again, it's a movie that doesn't cheat. And it, we, yeah. you know, obviously, Hannibal withholds some information, but yes. it's just such a clever, well-done film. And you're right. like It's not like the ending is bad. And it's not like there's this weird thing that happens in the middle that doesn't make sense or isn't answered. It's like so perfect. It's just Jonathan Demme just nailed it. And the oh, entire sure. cast. I mean, you... Oh, and I love the extreme close-ups where... Oh, yeah the person's face fills the entire, when you're in a theater, 50 feet of the screen, <laughs> such a Demi thing. And I oh, love yeah, it. I'm really bummed. I wasn't alive when this movie came out. Cause this movie well, came I out was, and seven I saw months before I was born. I'll tell you the electricity and talking about the movie theater experience. I saw science of the lambs first run and there was electricity in the air in that theater, especially at the end where Buffalo bill shuts out the lights and oh, he's falling right. there with the uh, night vision People are like screaming, like, don't touch her. Oh, my God, he's right behind you. Like, people are like, it was an interactive movie at that point. Yeah, there's a there's a handful of movies that I wish I had been alive to see in theaters. And one of them is Psycho. The other one is Silence of the Lambs. And I would have yep. loved to see the original 1977 Star Wars in theaters. Oh, yeah. I've never seen it before. And going in that first time, like, man, that had to be something. Sarah, I'm happy to say that for the for the original Psycho, I was not yet born. <laughs> I finally picked one movie you weren't allowed. I'm not to that old. The other ones, I was. I saw all those first run in a theater. Although I'm not a huge fan of horror, so it's so funny to me that my favorite movie is technically a horror movie. Sarah, thank you. This was a great conversation. It's great to learn so much about you, how you work, what you're interested in, your hobbies, Loki. I thought it was great. I really appreciate you being on many screens, big picture. Please come back again. Would love to have you on the show on a repeated basis. If you have time. Hey man, I can talk about my cat and movies all day long. So happy to come back. Love it. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Have a great day.